0: God in the difficulties of life. Let's so read our passage, 1 Peter 1, 3-12, and then I'll pray for us uh, before we look into God's word. So, 1 Peter 1, verses 3-12, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead Be found it to result in praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched being said, when uh, we look at uh, just the richness of this passage and the good things that are told about uh, you, God, and about the salvation you give us in Christ. I pray for us, Lord, as we, uh, each of us, uh, can easily bring to mind the uh, difficulties in our lives, uh, past difficulties and present difficulties, I pray that you would use our time in this word uh, to help us. my prayer. Uh, this is such a rich passage. Uh, Peter here is uh, speaking to scattered and suffering and persecuted Christians. And after his uh, kind of brief introduction that Jared uh, talked about last week, uh, he jumps in verse three. He begins the body of his letter talking to these persecuted Christians by blessing God. Um, and then he invites his readers. He invites those Christians back then invites us today to join him in blessing God in the midst of the difficulties and trials of life. And then he goes on in the rest of the passage to explain why, why we would do that, why we bless God in the midst of those difficulties. And it's because of the salvation that God has given us through Jesus. I certainly begin here Rebbe, to start by giving you uh, my main point for this passage. And uh, so, My main point is this: Christians bless God difficulties of life, because of the salvation He reveals through Christ. So that is what I want all of us to see in this passage. And that is what I want to remind you of if you are a Christian, uh, that Christians bless God and the difficulties of life, and we do so because of the salvation He brings through Christ. So with that main point guiding us, uh, we're going to first look at the way in which Peter addresses these Christians and all Christians as those who bless God the difficulties of life. It's as if he's inviting us to join with him in blessing God. So we'll do that by looking at some of the overall aspects of this passage uh, and see how those aspects of the passage, kind of as a whole, are tied together by that opening line of verse 3 that says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll do that first. And then second, we'll look at three main divisions of this passage it can be divided into verses 3 through 5, verses 6 through 9, and then verses 10 through 12. And in each of those three divisions, we'll look to see why it is that Christians bless God in the difficulties of life. Because you know what? It's actually not immediately obvious why we would bless God when life is hard. In fact, if you think about it, our natural inclination is to do the opposite, Right? When when life gets hard, our inclination, especially when we ask God for help when life is hard, our inclination is to turn away from God, not even to curse Him when life is hard. But, as Christians, we know that God has shown us mercy, has He's poured out His love on us, and so we have good reasons to bless God. And as we will see, all those reasons have to do with what Christ has done to save. So, Number one, Christians bless God in the difficulties of life. When I was in high school, I lived in Kansas. And uh, you know what the best thing coming out of Kansas was back then when I was in high school? It was 870. (laughs) Particularly westbound, right towards the mountains. At least that's what my friends and I used to say, that's how we used to joke. Uh, But we were young, and we were looking into the future. We were hopeful that life had good things in store for us. We were hopeful that there were things worth striving for, things worth waiting for. I mean, how else would young people endure all the stuff they have to deal with? I right, mean, think about all that homework, all those growing pains of adolescence, all those chores that you have to do, all those adults telling you, go here, do this, go there, do that. I remember I had one friend of high school, kind on of numerous occasions, he would just randomly proclaim his future at homework. when you're walking out from school on Instagram. Like, Don't you just hate homework? It's so bad, it's so worse. I to just couldn't do it. I just can't stay there. Um, right? All those problems to solve, all those questions to answer. Now, there are things in this world worse than homework, of course. But we endure life's present difficulties because we have hopes for the future. There are places we want to see. There are people we want to meet. There are things we want to do. So think about the difficulties in your life today. Think about the things that frustrate and disappoint you. The things that you wish were different, whether big or small. What motivates you to endure them? What hopes do you have for tomorrow? Or, I uh, rightly present difficulties uh, as we look to the future with hope, but sometimes we also endure present difficulties by looking to the past, uh, right through memory. So what memories do you have that sustain you? What memories do you have that give you courage and strength to face today's difficulties? say to help you, and he knows the things others do or say that hurt you. Think about how he hears every quiet word that you whisper to him. Think about the times that he's provided for you when you call out to him. But also think about the times when he was silent. Think about how sometimes his word makes sense to you. Sometimes his word has solid truth that you can grab hold of. And then think about how sometimes his word It's confusing. Sometimes it seems absolutely unbelievable to you. So we think about the present difficulties in our life when we think about God. And often when when people think about God, their attitudes towards Him are shaped by the circumstances of their life. If things are going well and if God responds to our questions and our needs in satisfying ways, then we have favorable attitudes towards Him. But when there are difficulties God disappoints them. They have unfavorable attitudes towards him. They shut him. They push him away. They look other places for answers, to questions, and reasons for hope. And on the face of it, that sort of system well, it seems to make sense, doesn't it? the system breaks down if you think about it a little longer. First, the system breaks down because there are many people who turn away from God even though He has been kind to them. Like the people of Israel that did that often in the Old Testament. You and I are both frequently guilty of that as well. And second, the system breaks down because there are many who have a favorable attitude towards God. There are those who praise Him and bless Him even in the midst of difficulties, right? There are those who aren't drawn away from God when life brings difficulties, but they're drawn towards Him. And that's what the Apostle Peter is leading us to do here. That's what he's he's calling us to do or leading us to do, is to be drawn towards God, to have a favorable attitude towards God, even in the midst of life's difficulties. So, in the original Greek, this whole passage, verses 3-12, through is one long, one-on sentence. Maybe you the for a moment. Uh, but the core of the sentence, the root of the sentence grammatically, is actually pretty simple. Uh, it, it, it's those first few words at the beginning of verse 3 that, said, that just simply say, God is blessed, or blessed be God. So it's a basic statement that the church makes about God. But then the rest of that really long sentence just explains why we bless you. So, as Christians, we have a favorable attitude towards God. We like Him. He's good and praiseworthy. Our thoughts of Him, and our words about Him, are honoring. We acknowledge His excellence and His wisdom and His power. We enjoy the beauty of His ways. Right, but we don't bless some uh, undefined, generic God. And we don't bless a God. about that. Um, instead, we bless the God who made us and loves us and saves us. As it says in verse 3, we bless the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the God who we bless. Now, there are many commands in the Bible to bless God. Uh, the book of Psalms is filled with them, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, but 1 Peter one three here, it actually isn't one of those commands. This isn't a command to bless God. It's an affirmation. It's a confession that God is blessed. There actually aren't any commands in this whole passage of the book in First Peter. You know, instead, this passage, verses three through twelve, I say at the beginning of First Peter, as an overview of the letter, and this passage prepares us to pay, be- to pay better attention to what's coming. And so, it's not filled with commands. Instead, he is preparing our hearts and our minds to listen uh, by telling Christians, telling us, uh, what is true of us in Christ. Because as the God has caused us to be born again, and uh, that we're guarded by His power, it's interesting to observe that the passage doesn't command us to rejoice, it just simply states it, you rejoice. It doesn't command us to love Jesus or believe in Him, it just says, You love him. You believe in him. Now, the commands will come in 1 Peter, as as we'll see in the passages that follow. Uh, But this passage is affirming. This passage is addressing Christians as those who will join Peter in blessing God in the difficulties of life. So Christians bless God in the difficulties of life. But we have good reason to do so. So that's what we want to look at now. And number two. Christians bless God because of the salvation He reveals through Christ. As I mentioned earlier, this passage can be divided into three sections. Uh, verses three through five uh, look to the future, and they show us that God's salvation brings hope through death. And we'll, these will be up on the screen later as well. Um, uh, verses verse three through five look to the future, showing us that God's salvation brings hope through death. Uh, verses six to eight look to the present. They show us that God's salvation brings joy through trials. And verses 9 through 12 look to the past. And they show us that God's salvation brings answers through time. Now, before we uh, look at those three fundamental reasons for blessing God, well, let me first point out that all three of them are tied together by the themes of salvation and revelation. There are so many different uh, phrases that are used, so many different words that are employed in this passage. It's actually pretty difficult to kind of go through all of them and see what are some themes that are tying all of this together. Uh, the two repeated words, or themes that we'll see in all three of those sections are salvation and revelation. So salvation is mentioned in verses 5, 9, and 10, The revelation is mentioned in verses 5, 7, and 12, so just real quickly, verse 5 speaks of a salvation ready to be Verse 7 speaks of the coming revelation of Jesus Christ. Verses 9 and 10 talk about the salvation of your souls. And then verse 12 that speaks of what was revealed to the Old Testament prophets concerning Christ and His church. So, salvation and revelation are important here because they extend our reasons for blessing God beyond the horizons of this world. They extend our reasons for blessing God beyond the limits of this life, right? Within the horizons of time, our hopes for the future, our endurance in the midst of difficulties, our patience as we wait, those things can only go so far. I remember reading, and sometimes they can only go so far because of our our own inner strength, but the other reason that they can only go so far that our hopes and our patience and our endurance can only go so far is because of the basic reality of death. So I remember, a few years ago reading an economist who was talking about the ups and downs of the economy and how people uh, try to cope with those ups and downs by saying, well, uh, we can deal with the short-term losses as we wait for long-term gains, or right? we wait for the economy to balance itself out. And he looked at that and he kind of acknowledged there's some validity to it, but then he was like, you know in the long run we're all dead, right? How long can you wait for, for, for the ups and the downs He makes a good point, right, if you think about uh, the money and the wealth of this world, certainly. So in the long run, everything might work out, but what's happening now, right? What what good is the long run if the things you have been waiting for are gone when you get there, or if the things that you were hoping for back then don't bring really joy today? But as Christians, we're able to bless God today, rejoice in His goodness, because we know how things will turn out, and we don't know the future details of our lives. fully revealed in the last time, verse 5 says, but as verse 11 says, His salvation was also predicted long ago. So we can genuinely bless God today in the midst of uncertainties because He has shown us, He has revealed to us, His salvation through Christ. So as we look at that salvation, uh, we first see, looking into the future, that there's always hope, even in the face of death. And so point A. God's salvation brings hope through death, and we're looking at particularly verses 3 through 5. So verse 3 says that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ before the death. You now, there's, there's a certain hopelessness that naturally accompanies death. Death sets a, sets a hard limit to our days on this earth. Death sets a hard limit on the hopes that we have Christians, we have the idea of resurrection kind of thoroughly infused in our minds. But think about Christ's disciples after they saw him die and before they knew that he was resurrected. Think about all the hopes that they had for him and think about just how firmly and permanently death would have closed the door on the hopes that they had for Christ. In fact, we see that in Luke 24, verse a couple of disciples they are walking on the road to a mass with Jesus, they don't yet know it's Jesus, but they said, We had hoped, past us, we had hoped, that He was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped Christ would redeem Israel, but not any longer, and not after they saw Him die, but we you know, and they soon. us to be born again, and He causes us to new and eternal life uh, through the death of Christ and then through His resurrection. So because of that, death is no longer a limitation on our hope. Unlike that economist, you know, our vision of hope extends beyond the span of our years on this earth. Our vision of hope extends beyond this age. that are dying, because they're never going to be fulfilled. There's, there are other hopes that are dying because they were bad hopes. Maybe they were sinful or impure hopes that were they to be fulfilled or when they're fulfilled, turn out to be Turn out not to be hopes but nightmares instead, right? Hopes that aren't that hopeful. Instead, they bring shame and dissatisfaction instead of joy and satisfaction. But there are also a lot of hopes in this world that are dying because they've already been fulfilled. They served a purpose, but now they're just sort of fading away. I was thinking about hopes that rise and fall in our lives, and uh, there were some that I thought you could hear us talking about right out but we all have like, things we hope, things we dream about. Uh, but first, just a silly example uh, I could share with you. Uh, you know, I remember the exact moment when I stopped hoping that my mountain bike skills perpetually did better. Um, so I did eventually get on the I-70 Westbound and I found myself in, uh, in Arizona. and I lived in the mountains in Northern Arizona. And while I was there I did a lot of mountain biking and you know, road bikes growing up as a kid as well. Um, I've heard that there are some people that ride bikes for exercise, that, that kind of thing. I mean, wasn't me though. I didn't ride bikes for exercise. I um, rode bikes to have fun, right? To go down steeper and steeper trails, Rougher and rougher terrain, but got bigger and bigger jumps. These are all relative statements, right? I was never actually active, but it feels like you're doing those fast. Um, so one year, my friend and I, I uh, did a lot of mountain biking, and we, just, uh, we took a trip up to Whistler, British Columbia, uh, you know, the Mecca of mountain biking, and we had this incredibly huge mountain bike park there uh, with every trail and jump imaginable. It was like, if you could do a jump this way, scale, but you can take a this big, they got one next to it that's this big, and one next to it that's this big. So you can just push yourself and go a little bit further, a little bit faster, a little bit bigger, whatever it was. Um, and I realized that some, at, you know, at some moment while I was doing all that stuff, like, this is pretty much not right. you watch those guys, like, doing the same things off 50th of and I just think, I'm never going to do that. Like, what I'm doing now is pretty much the limit what I'm going to be able to do, and I was okay with that. When I was telling my friend who was a few years younger than me about this, um, I had, and he just kind of looked at me like I was crazy, like because he was still pushing, he still wanted more, he still wanted to go steeper and faster and bigger. But my hopes to do that, I just sort of died. I'm not. I still bike. I still enjoyed those things, um, but um, I just realized like, so that this hope has kind of gotten to its natural conclusion, and that's okay after it to fade away. As Jesus said, there are things in this world we strive after that once we get them, moths and lust come in and destroy as we them the So Jesus warns us about putting our hope in those sorts of things, now, but instead he gives us a living hope, not a dying hope, but a living hope one that persists even in the face of death. And that living hope, uh, we're told in this passage, is accompanied by an eternal inheritance, uh, a treasure in heaven that can't be destroyed or stolen. Uh, a lot of commentators will uh, say that it's likely that Peter had those words of Jesus about many of the treasures in heaven that can't be destroyed, that can't be stolen. And when he tells us about We bless God because of this living hope. Point B: God's salvation brings joy through, tri- through trials. Uh, we're looking at verses six through eight. So we we bless God uh, because of hope through death. We also bless God because of because of salvation brings joy through trials. Notice how verse six connects our future hope of salvation with the present difficulties of life. Let me read verse six again. So it says, "In this, right, in this." salvation and hope that God has mercifully, mercifully given us through Christ. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And I least, if necessary, it doesn't mean that, uh, that these trials might not be necessary, like there's a secret way to avoid trials uh, or something like that. Uh, but when it says that, the, that we endure these trials, uh, if necessary, it means that to varying degrees, and in line with God's purpose, uh, the, the purpose that He's accomplishing in us and through us, the trials are a necessary part of the Christian life, the trials are a necessary part of life in this sinful and fallen world. It also says that these trials grieve us, they cause, they cause sorrow for us. Right, there's hope, uh, but that doesn't mean there's not sorrow, it doesn't mean there's not grief. So when you're in the middle of a trial, right, it seems like it's going to last forever. It seems like this is the way life has always been, and it's the way life is always going to be. But those trials don't last forever. They're temporary. They're short. And I said earlier that death sets a limit on our hopes in this world, but death also sets a limit on our suffering in this world. And so in comparison Seems like they're last forever. But Peter reminds us only going last for a little while. So for us as Christians, in this present life, joy can coexist with grief. And it sounds strange to say, right, it, it seems like it would be better to say that, that joy and sorrow somehow like cancel each other out, right? If grief moves in and jo- joy moves out and if joy moves in, grief has to move out. Um, but that's not the way the Christian life is they don't cancel each other out. Somehow, they exist alongside each other. Uh, we truly grieve the, the trials that we go through. But even in the midst of that, alongside that, uh, there's joy. And the source of that joy, as we've seen, is eternal and in pain, By contrast, the sources of our joy, or the sources of our grief, those various trials, are brief and quickly passing away. So, that's one of the reasons why we have joy of trials is just for that simple reason that the joy lasts a long time, eternally, while the difficulties of the grief are temporary. But, actually, I haven't even gotten to the best part of this yet. We're grieved by various trials, verse, six, verse 7 says, for a reason, so that to test the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's a reason uh, for this testimony, there's a reason for these trials. Uh, there's some debate among commentators over whether the praise and glory and honor in this verse are given to Christians uh, because of the genuineness of their faith, or whether it's praise and glory and honor uh, given to Christ and He's revealed. Uh, I think the first option is the right answer talking about the, the uh, praise and glory and honor that the Christians will receive uh, when Jesus appears. And he says to us, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Master." So I hope you see what's going on here in this passage. We have joy in the midst of trials because those trials are dying. our uh, Hope is living. But we also have joy joy in the midst of trials. Because those trials are the means by which God is increasing our joy. Those trials are the means by which our praise and glory and honor will increase when Christ is revealed when it comes to fully bring That's why Christians have joy in the midst of trials, and that's why we love Jesus. salvation brings those answers through time. But, I mean, i will try to say something about the angels that are mentioned there at the end of verse 12. I probably won't say anything this time, but I'm sure too. I'll say, it, but I'll say something. Uh, but before we do that, before we lo- look up into the heavens to consider those angels, let's look back in time. Them, uh, we can see that we actually, as Christians, have some things in common with those prophets. Uh, verse 8 says that we love Jesus and believe in him, even though we have not yet, even though we've never seen him. Uh, likewise, those prophets have never seen Jesus either. They had hoped for him, they had longed for him, and they were curious about uh, who he was and the, uh, the times and the seasons when he would come. Uh, but likewise, they've never seen Jesus. So like us, those prophets were grieved by various trials during their life, and in fact, maybe for most of us, in comparison to those prophets, they grieved much worse trials during their life as they waited for God to reveal His salvation. And you know, you know much about the lives of the Old. that were taken off in the captivity uh, all the things that they endured. And while they were enduring them, God was revealing things to them. God was speaking to them about the salvation that He would bring. And so in the midst of those trials, they were, they were listening, they were proclaiming God's coming, uh, coming salvation. But there are also some ways in which we differ from those prophets. And like I said, God, They had questions about Christ. They had questions about the message that they were proclaiming about the sufferings and the glories of Christ. They wanted to know who this enlightened one was. They wanted to know who this Messiah would be. they wanted to know when all these things going to take place. And you can imagine that if you're uh, in a war or if you're being called off to captivity or if you're in a city that's under siege, those questions. Of hope. So they wanted to know when all these things would take place. They, they surely hoped that they would see Christ come during their own lifetimes. But as they inquired into these matters, uh, it says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, right, but us. So the, the messages that they proclaimed, the hope that they were speaking of, it, was done not just for their generation, but it was done to serve us. It was meant to appoint us towards Christ. When so you think about how that was done, even in the New Testament, so, so think about Peter, I think about his sermon at Pentecost, I think about when the church first began to preach the good news, I think about the, the later sermons of Paul, and even the, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, think about how well those evangelists. Think about how well those prophets served the apostles. Right? Read Peter's Sermon at Pentecost and how he announces Christ and that he announces who he is and explains who he is and what he's done by relying on the prophets, by pointing to what Joel said, by pointing to what Isaiah said, by pointing to what Ezekiel said. So think about how much we as the church rely on the predictions of those prophets and explaining the gospel. Most prophets had questions during their times in history about God's promise of salvation. They hoped for it, but they could not yet see it. of John the Baptist when he was making straight the way of the Lord, when he was preparing the way for Christ to come and his ministry and the message that he proclaimed. brought him to the point where he was in prison, about ready to get his head chopped off, and he sent a message to Jesus saying. Are you the one, or should I look for someone else? Right, so that encapsulates the questions that those prophets had as they inquired about Christ. So John had that same question. He was doing that same inquiry. Is Jesus the one, or do we wait for someone else? But we know the answer, that Christ was the one. And John saw that hope of salvation for the Christ. So now for us, Christ has come, He's given us new life. He's given us living hope through His death on the cross. But like the prophets, we're still waiting for the full revelation of God's salvation. But Peter acknowledges that but there's still a coming revelation of Christ, and we certainly still have questions about Christ, about this life, about God that have not yet been answered. But we can also acknowledge that we have. So as we look to God's faithfulness in the past, we have to be encouraged today, knowing that He will bring, in the end, satisfying answers to the questions that we have today. Think about how uh, difficulties or pain or suffering has a particular way of uh, bringing to the surface our questions for God. Right? When something bad happens, you might have this initial uh, response to say, why God? But we never do that when something good happens, right? When just I don't know, you just in some random way, like something really good happens to you, your know, immediate response is like, "This is cool, this is great, I like this." But you never pause, and like, doesn't immediately cause you to be like, "Why would God do this to me?" Right? Sorry. questions, the difficulties, the trials of life—they do have a way of focusing our attention. Long to see our day, but to know how Christ's sufferings and subsequent glories fit together, and they long to see how the event of the cross you know, would bring the salvation of our souls. And so, those prophets are an example to us that we also can know. Really group, the angels, who are also intrigued by the gospel. They're also intrigued by the fact that somehow Christ's death and resurrection on the cross gives sinners of you and me new life. It's hard to say what it is exactly about the gospel that the angels long to look into. It's also hard to say the extent to which their curiosity. This, I think the point that he's making here is that the salvation of God has revealed to us through Christ is so amazing, it's so wonderful, it's so encouraging to us that it intrigues even angels. So we don't yet have answers to all of our questions, but the answers we do have lead us to bless God even in the midst of the difficulties and of life. So, Christians bless God in the difficulties of life, and we do so because His salvation brings hope through death, and it brings joy through trials, and it brings answers through time. But I want to return kind of, real quickly to something I said at the beginning when I said that this passage doesn't have any commands, but instead simply states what is true of Christians, or simply says things that Christians can eagerly namely, that God is blessed, right? That's the, the core of this long sentence. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, i said all of these things uh, about what Christians do and what Christians say, knowing that there are those among us, myself included, who do not always bless God in the midst of life's difficulties. But uh, there are those among us who are not currently rejoicing with joy aware that there might be some, some of you who don't believe in Jesus, you don't um, love Him or trust Him. If that's you, I want to encourage you to believe in Him. I want to encourage you to think about your life and the hopes that you have for the future. Are the hopes that you have living or are they dying? I want to encourage you to think about your sin and your need for salvation. Consider the living hope that Christ gives to all those who come to Him. And then to those who are Christians who would not say that blessing God in the difficulties of life is an accurate description of you, be encouraged by this passage. Let it remind you of who you are in Christ, of what his salvation means to you in the face of whatever trials you're currently facing. Difficulties and questions, even in the face of temptations to turn away from you, And we acknowledge that you are using those the trials and those difficulties to, to purify our. you that that is true, God. We praise you for your wisdom as it's displayed in the mystery of the cross. I pray that you would bless us.